Welcome to Northern Goal, the football podcast from the Evening Express and Press and Journal. Fresh from the pivotal World Cup playoff at Hamden Park last night, we've got all the reaction analysis from Scotland's defeat to Ukraine. Uh, we'll also take an in-depth look at what lies in store for Aberdeen women's team after some significant changes at Cormac Park. Plus, there's all the news from our SPFL and Highland League clubs across the north. Ryan Cryle's on holiday this week, but making sure the Northern Gold towel is first on the football sun lounges, it's me, Jamie Durant. And joining me today are Sophie Goodwin, Paul Third, and Andy Skinner. How are we, guys? Good All good. Yeah. We'll head to Hamden first of all for Scotland's playoff semi-final loss to, the, to Ukraine. The game which had been delayed for, for more than two months because of the horrendous invasion of Ukraine um, finally took place in Glasgow on Wednesday night with the visitors deservedly emerging victorious 3-1. They will advance to the playoff final on Sunday to face Wales um, with the winner going to Qatar 2022. Andy, you were in the in the ground for the game. What was what was your assessment? Uh, we were just talking before we came on air there that uh, we dared to to believe that Scotland might have been in a different place just with the form that's been shown in the in the last few months um, to get us into this position. Um, six games competitively, um, six wins on the trot, and and two draws coming into this. We uh, obviously the highlight of that was the the game against Denmark where we performed on you know a, a big stage against a, a team that was looking to finish the uh, qualification campaign uh, with a 100% record but uh, yeah no it, it did bring back that that sense that last night was maybe normal Scotland that we were we were kind of used to, to seeing and uh, just a painful sort of throwback to, to the memories that we've become a little bit more accustomed to rather than you know some of the good times that we've experienced recently. I don't know how you, you felt yourselves, but I couldn't help but feel similarities to the two Euros games last summer, actually, just with the way that from an early stage, we, we seemed to be, you know, chasing shadows and outclassed. And it didn't look as if we were really equipped to deal with, with what was coming our way. It, it looked evident early on that changes needed to be made. Um, I mean, we can have all the the right intentions and you can sense how the how you think the game is going to go but you're never truly going to know until it starts and i think there has to be a little bit more scope for uh you know adaptability within the the game which i, I think the changes that steve clark ultimately made just came far too late um it was clear that there were huge gaps between you know defense and midfield and they certainly weren't getting enough out of John McGinn, who was a little bit too far advanced in in supporting, you know, two strikers who who never got any service at all. Um, from a defensive point of view, it looked pretty chaotic as well. So, um, yeah, no, we were simply beaten by the the better team, and it um, yeah, yeah, it just goes down as a a, a really disheartening and disappointing night it was it was a sore one like you say the better team won no I don't anybody's going to dispute that they tired in the final 20 minutes as we threw caution in the wind I mean it finished like a basketball game almost and John McGinn and yeah you're right he, he didn't have the, the best game but he's going to be having had, he will have had a horrendous sleepless night I would imagine after missing that header honestly it looked harder to score 
it was sorry I'm, I'm saying that the wrong way even I'm getting carried away it looked harder to miss it <laughs> maybe I should be apologising after I get my words all mixed up there I mean I think if we'd levelled the game they looked out in their feet and I think we might have gone on to win it but we didn't so there you go see you again in two years when we're back knocking on the door hoping against hope that this is going to be different this time I mean to me it took too long to make make any changes when when clearly the game was kind of going against Scotland and I don't think it's necessarily a fault of the system in the kind of the 5-3-2 or the three at the back it's just maybe the personnel that weren't right I mean Scott McTominay in the back three didn't look right um not playing Ryan Christie when the kind of that front three of him McGinn and Adams had worked so well against Denmark again that was obviously an oversight that was corrected at half time but it's maybe too little too late by that point where kind of Ukraine had already maybe established their kind of uh, dominance in the game. Yeah, I mean, for, for, you know, the good options that we've got across the squad, I think maybe what last night showed is that, you know, a couple of key components within the, the team um, can can really make a big difference to how, how the, the side functions. I mean, you take out Kieran Tierney and Andy Robertson kind of lacks that that support that he needs down the left because I mean in fairness he was still trying to to, to drive forward and, and make things happen in the first half but again there just wasn't that that same overlap from left side of defence which you know sounds uh, quite uh, quite bizarre but I mean that's just how the, the two of them function they've been really effective in doing that over a, a long period of time it's the same with right back as well um, I think I mean, Nathan Patterson's looked pretty good, I have to say, um, despite his lack of game time at club level. Uh, I've, I've been quite impressed with him in a Scotland jersey and, you know, Stephen O'Donnell on the whole hasn't tended to to let Scotland down. But, you know, there just didn't seem to be that that same chemistry between Aaron Hickey and Scott McTominay, who who, who was pretty exposed in, in that first half in particular. Um, so I, I think we're not quite at the stage yet where... You know, we've got a team that really picks itself, but almost sometimes too blessed with an array of options and um, just a little bit more work need, needs to be done, I suppose, to, to I suppose get to that stage where, where you do, you know, maybe lose one player and you've got a natural pick to, to come straight in and allow things to, to just function as, as normal. It's interesting because if you, if you look at half time, we've struggled. We're, we're not in it. Craig Gordon's kept us in the game. So Steve Clark hooks Lyndon Dykes and puts on Ryan Christie. But before anyone gets a chance, including the manager, to see what, what effect that change is going to have, it's 2-0 and suddenly it's a completely different game. You're chasing it. And for me, it's it felt so depressing watching Grant Hanley be thrown up front <laughs> in the last, what was it, 15 minutes? Well, you've got Ross Stewart, full of confidence, banging for him. He's had a fabulous season for Sunderland, one promotion. He's sitting on the bench watching now i expect stewart didn't come on because he's got a lack of international experience but he's only going to get that one way and it's, if it's a game when you need a hail mary and you need to do something that surely this is it it can't be grant hanley center forward come on well that's, i think i made the point to yourselves last night that say if only we had a six foot three 26 goal striker on the bench that we could throw on for the final minutes and when the, sh- the shift of system to a 4-3-3 was needed. Then you've got a winger on the bench and someone like Jacob Brown, who's not got much international experience, but he's come off a really good season with Stoke and said the only chance he's going to get at getting experience is coming on in games like this. So I don't... <sighs> then 
aside from say Ryan Christie coming on, who I thought had a positive impact, I don't think the changes necessarily had too much of a bearing on the game. I'd agree. I don't know where you go from here, really. Do do you do you start going right? It's twenty twenty four, and uh, and we're, we need to start all, all over again because look, it, it, it's funny. I mean, I've I've just said that, but it's easy to overreact because it's such a morale sapping defeat. This one. We were unbeaten in eight games before facing Ukraine. We had good momentum. I was actually more confident of winning this game in March than I was last night, really. Um, These players have brought into Clark's style of management the play for him, but too many had an off night. Billy Gilmore and McGinn were both off it. Andy Robertson, as the game went on, looked like a guy finally feeling the effects of what has been a marathon season for him with, with Liverpool. Now it's all about the response. And probably it's a good thing to have three games in the next fortnight because you need to get this disappointment out of your system and get that belief back in that no, we're a decent side. Okay, we're not, we're not perfect, but we're working towards something and we're a lot better than what we showed on Wednesday. Sophie, what do you kind of feel next for some of these players? Is it Do you feel it's kind of like the end of the road maybe for, for one or two um, and that so maybe some of the other kind of squad players that didn't play last night maybe kind of need to be factored into the bigger picture? Yeah, I think so. I think it is difficult, like Paul said, to know where to go from here. I think last night I was sitting watching at home and if I hadn't been speaking about it today, I probably would have turned it off. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think so. Like you say, players like Hickey coming through and Patterson and it is promising what Scotland have coming up. But I mean, I think Hickey last night showed he's maybe not quite there yet with the team that that Clark wants to play. So, yeah, I think there is players there, even, you know, the likes of experience, John Suter coming in, establishing himself in the national team. I think he's in a good position maybe to do that next season with Rangers if he can kind of hit the ground running. But I think, like we've all said this morning, it's difficult to know where to go from here. Sophie looking after the local coffee shop there. <laughs> yeah, the, suitor, the suitor mentioned. I had to get it in. I had to get it in. <laughs> but it's, it's funny, I mean, Han, I, I feel like I'm picking on Grant Hanley, I don't mean to be, but he's 31 in November. Stuart Armstrong came off the bench, he's 30 as well. McTominay's is younger, but he's playing as a square peg in a round hole. Get him back in, in the midfield. In terms of your defence, you've got Scott McKenna at 25 and John Souter at 25. These are the guys who are moving on to bigger things. One's a way to play in the Premier League. Other one's going to be playing in Europe regularly with Rangers. And But when you take a little bit of a longer term view here, we're two years away from the Euros. Let's get guys in now who have a chance of playing in that tournament if we get there. I don't want to see Grant Hanley at 33 playing in the Euros. We all due respect. We need to be looking younger and continually having that, that turnover. Well, I think McKenna and Suter, I think, were long spoken about, weren't there, as a kind of the potential future centre-half pairing for Scotland, like both when like McKenna was making his breakthrough at Aberdeen a few years ago and obviously John Suter was at um, obviously Dundee United and then Hearts, he was kind of, it was them two that were spoken about as the future centre-half pairing for, for the national side. And I mean, Andy, with the kind of the busy window that we've got with kind of three, kind of three games coming up, do you feel it's a chance for Clark to rotate or does he have to rotate given to, that it is the end of a long season and he, and he has picked a, a larger squad to accommodate these games? Yeah, um, I mean, it was clear that it was going to be a different and, and a bigger pool that he was picking. Um, I suppose the the one way of looking at it, it's four games rather than five that he was perhaps planning for and he's got a week to now prepare for this one. So, you know, it might not be the wholesale changes coming into the, the first Armenia game that you see, but I mean, the McKenna one's quite a, 
um, an interesting one because, I, I mean, exactly as Paul says there, you know, he's a player that, that should be sort of now approaching what he sees as the the peak years now that he's got that that kind of ticket into the Premier League and um, with Grant Hanley's age, uh, you know, you would see that as maybe being a, a position that, you know, he could look to try and implement a, a change over the next few games because, uh, I mean, from looking at the, the defensive line that Steve Clark has picked, he he seems to like having that, that ball-winning centre-half at the, at the heart of the back three. It's been Hanley recently. Prior to that, it was Declan Gallagher. Um, and McKenna fits that mould, which, you know, as I say, it made it seem unlikely that McKenna was going to get the nod to be on the, the left-hand side of that uh, instead of Tierney. I think he, he likes to have, obviously, because Tierney's the, you know, the ball-moving kind of influence on, on the left-hand side of that. He, he prefers to to have someone a, a bit more nimble-footed, I suppose, and Liam Cooper was the, the man given the nod for that. But um, McKenna will certainly have a, a role to play in these next three games. It's um, definitely room for, for experimenting, but I mean, the Nations League's a huge deal for us as well. We've, we've you know, seen that to our benefit in the past and, uh, you know, it's it's good to have three games straight after this to, to try and right some wrongs. It's not going to, uh, you know, erase the, the pain because this was clearly the, you know, the big, um, the biggest one of the, the lot that, that we've now fallen short in, but um, I suppose we're now looking towards that that target of the the Euros in two years' time, which um, you know we've we've already been to, and it was a disappointment for us ultimately. So you know we've got to to try and focus on on getting there, and once if and when we do, then you know try and be in a place where we can give a better showing. Um, I suppose the one thing that you know gave us that excitement coming into this. Ukraine and potentially Wales playoff was, you know, the carrot of moving on to the next level by getting to the World Cup because it just, you know, it feels that bit bigger than the, the Euros and it, it provides that little bit extra uh, excitement compared to the Euros. But as I say, if, if we want to be a, a nation that, that's going to be reckoned with as, as the long-term target is, then, you know, we've got to Got to try and make them all. Really, uh, we can't be picky and choosy, given that we've we've only made one tournament in uh, well, however many years it's been since nineteen ninety eight. It's worrying though because we don't we don't have that many international friendlies now. The way the calendar is set up. So, what do you use? Do you use a qualifying campaign? Do you use the Nations League? Because they're two important competitions, two important routes to a major championships. If you like, where do we give a guy a chance to see if he's got it? I mean, it's funny, you've been chatting away there, Andy. I'm, I'm having a quick scan through the squad. Callum McGregor's 29 in a couple of weeks. Ryan Jack, who had to pull out the squad, he's 30. It's, you forget that the time's ticking by for these guys. So do you look at someone, and I know it sounds like I'm pushing one of our own, in Lewis Ferguson, do you look at him and say, well, let's see if he's got it. Do you get McTominay back in the middle of the field and say, can he do a job there for us? And then further up the park, yeah, Jacob Brown, Rod Stewart. Where is the opportunity for these guys? When do you do it, if not now? Absolutely, I think uh, I think it's going to be a long, uh, long few days of soul searching ahead, and it's only going to be until I suppose the Armenia game gets underway um, next next week. That's you can maybe kind of finally focus on on things ahead because obviously there's two games against Armenia either side of either side of a trip to Dublin, which again should be a pretty 
pretty tasty encounter. So there's a few games left of this window for for Steve Clark and and Scotland to try and put a positive spin on what's uh, what will probably be viewed ultimately as a big disappointment. And that's it for, for part one of this week's episode of Northern Goal. In part two, we'll move on to cheerier subjects and a positive time for Aberdeen women. Welcome to part two of this week's episode of Northern Goal, where we're going to take some time to discuss what's been a significant period of change for Aberdeen women. The big news came with the club announcing five players, uh, Eva Thompson, Bailey Hutchison, Jess Broderick, Francesca Ogilvie and Ailey Shaw had signed semi-professional contracts with potentially more to follow in the future. Um, we'd also seen long-serving stalwarts Kelly Forrest and Carrie Doig announce their retirements, while Joe Fraser, Gail Gilmore and Anna Blanchard have left the club. The Dons will also be part of the SWPL as it comes under the SPFL, if you can keep up with the acronyms, um, a banner for next season. Uh, Sophie, you've been uh, on all of this from the very start. Uh the semi-professional move is obviously the um, probably the biggest structural change for the club's future. Yeah, it's massive. Um, I know it's only five players that have been put on contracts, but I think bigger picture, it just shows that paid football is now an option, not just in Aberdeen, but in the north. It's important to remember that between here and set the central belt, they're the only team that played in the top flight last season. We'll obviously have Dundee United next season, but even still with that, they aren't going to be offering paid football. So it's a it's a really important move for, for women's football in the North and the Northeast and, and for the club as well, because, you know, they finished fifth their first season back in SWPL1 with a really young squad coming back into this league after being away. I think they last played in it in 2017. A lot's changed in women's football since then. So it's come back and be so successful. I think the next step to do was to develop and put more investment in behind the scenes, which they've obviously done. And hopefully that can kind of build on the foundation they've set in. I think it would be difficult for them to build on a fifth place finish next season, considering you've got, you know, the top three in the SWPL one who are Rangers, Celtic and Glasgow City, who are wholly professional and full-time dominating women's football. And then Hibs are putting players on, I think, better contracts, full-time professional contracts than they had last season. So I think it'll be difficult for, for Aberdeen to improve on what they finished in the league, but they're definitely in a better place to to do so and build on the foundation that they had in SWPL1 last season. You'd obviously put a couple of pieces together with with Gavin Levy this week, who's the um, he's the academy director, but he also oversees um, the Aberdeen women's side. And I'd recommend kind of picking up those on the Press and Journal website. And he was just kind of outlining, I suppose, what the semi-professional status would mean for the players involved. And from reading it, the biggest takeaway for me was that while these players will be paid, that all of the squad, regardless of whether they're paid or not, will still have access to the kind of the same resources, the same training while they're, while they're part of the side. Yeah. So the women's team already based themselves out at Cormac Park. Um, they played their SWPL2 games there um, two years ago, and then they trained there on a weekly basis. But so last season, they trained twice a week. Um, it was mandatory sessions for everyone and the changes that are coming in next season training will go up to three sessions and there'll be improved and increased strength and conditioning programs sports science analysis and meetings and all of that has to be mandatory for the paid players so they will have to go to the three sessions they will get gym passes to Cormac Park I think it's important to remember that even though these players are on paid contracts it's still semi-pro it's not full-time 
I think two of them are in uni, one of them has their own business, one's just coming out of school and the other girl has a job. So they're still not full-time professional footballers, so they'll be given a strength and conditioning programme that they have to fulfil around their own schedules. But yeah, like you say, it's very important. And when I spoke to Emma Hunter about it as well as Gavin, that there's no point on just giving the five players these incentives and giving them the those benefits so they go off and excel and the rest of the team are, are behind it's important that everyone's given the opportunities to to develop and develop at the same rate and same level because like any kind of team in football that's not full-time and professional and that's men and women's you know people have jobs people have lives and they can't you know I know Kelly Forrest isn't at the club anymore but the likes of Lauren Campbell who's 30 31 she can't invest all her time into football when she's got a full-time job she's an, elect, uh, an engineer so I think it is important that the option is there that the whole club can develop as a whole, but those five players are in a better position now to develop their careers at a really young age so they can go on to to professional football. There seems to be a strong kind of affirmation from Gavin as well that that they want a kind of a consistent message throughout the club that say whatever applies to the men's team can apply to the women's team as well, that they're they're kind of pushing this kind of one club kind of message that it's not maybe seen as two separate entities. Yeah, when I spoke to Gavin... I think the first thing I put to him was, you know, women's football, it's progressing, but it's maybe clubs like Aberdeen and Rangers Celtic, the ones that have men's clubs associated, they're not self-sustaining. They don't bring enough money to to kind of sustain on their own. So was it a leap in the dark um, to, to invest so much in the women's team this season without maybe reaping the benefit of what's to come in the immediate future? And he said, no. He said that, no, we believe that you know, this club is going to go far and that we have the resources, the players to do so. And I think that's really important to remember that while they're making this, they are being cautious because they don't know how women's football is going to progress. Like you said earlier, it's moving to SPFL next season. Even though it's a development, a lot of it is still unknown. The progress has been rapid, but with that, you also don't know what's going to happen. So it is important that they're cautious with their approach, but with it, yeah, they are one team and they're getting the access to the facilities at Cormac Park. Um, one thing that me and Gavin spoke about is this is new territory for, for everyone at the club. So kind of the coaches, Emma and Emma Hunter and Gavin Beath have had to sit down and have conversations that, you know, they might have never had to have before. Obviously, kind of the way women's football works, you're just normally on a, a rolling contract for when the league's being played. But this season, they've had to sit players down and say, actually, you're not in our plans going forward. Um, for the five players, it's a lot for them to have on their plate, I think. It's a lot of pressure. So the club, like they do with all their academy players and the men, they'll be offering them support off the pitch, whether that's with their mental health. Because I think it's a big change for these players to happen so fast. You know, I think all but three of them are teenagers. For all of a sudden, for you to become a paid footballer, the first ever for the club, it's a lot of scrutiny that you're going to be placed under. So the fact that the club are you know, going to extend that support that they do to the men's team, to the women. It's really important that they all are given the same opportunities so that they can thrive at Aberdeen. Obviously, Kelly and, and Carrie had been kind of two fairly significant figures uh, within the club for a, for a long period of time. What impacts do you feel it will have on, on them retiring? I think experience-wise, it's massive. Between the two of them, I think they were there for over 20 years. Um, Carrie's been there since she was a kid, since she was 11 or 12. Um, so... Yeah, it's, it'll be a big miss. I think just having them in the dressing room, you know, you've seen all the messages that came out on Twitter for, for both the players when they retired and it's people past and present. No, Everyone had a good word to say about them. So I think that just speaks for themselves, the, the personalities that will be missing for Aberdeen next season. But I think Carrie maybe didn't play as much in the top flight 
um, as Kelly did last season. I think Harry only made seven appearances in SWPL1. So um, I don't think she'll be as big a miss on the pitch going forward as Kelly might be. Kelly's obviously the captain. Um, she brings that experience. Uh, there will be massive misses, but I think it's it's important that, you know, Aberdeen, they're going into this kind of, it's a, it's a long-term kind of plan now. They've got people like Jess Broderick and Ailey Shore and all that who can step up and kind of fill the gaps of those people like Kelly Forrest and Carrie Doig. That experience, while it will be missed, I think they're well-placed going forward that I can't see the club suffering too much without them. Given that, that those two are kind of stepping away from the game and obviously they've let go of two goalkeepers as as well. Is it is it too simplistic to say that the kind of the defence is something that they'll be looking at, at strengthening for next season, or are there other areas that you feel that maybe need some um, some kind of additions or some strengthening? Yeah, I think defence and goalkeepers uh, goalkeeping is the two areas that they need to strengthen. I think yeah, just looking at numbers wise, it's it's the most obvious, isn't it? The fact that they've lost their captain, who when fit started every game, um, and Carrie Dog as well, who you know would have been used as a backup player. To lose them and considering, I think the goals that Aberdeen shipped last season, it's, it was a weak area, their defence at times. Um, they would concede goals quite fast. And when you look at their, I think their goal difference in the table, it, it wasn't it, it wasn't good at all for, for a team that finished fifth. Um, so, yeah, it definitely has to be an area that they need to strengthen. I think, you know, they've got, they've got the foundations there with... They've still got the experience with Donna Patterson, who's played, you know, she's 23. She's still young herself, but she's played in SWPL1 since she was 15 with Glasgow City, with Forfar Farmington and with Aberdeen as well. So they've got the experience there and her with Lauren Campbell and Jess Project. It was her first season in the top flight. I think she did really, really well, but there is still obviously areas that she can develop. So they do need to bring in somebody to strengthen that back line. But yeah, with the goalkeepers, you know, AJ is now the only senior goalkeeper. Um, left at the club I think Annalisa McCann she's moved up well she's plays for the under 19 she's moved up to be on the bench last season but you know it's one of those positions that you can't you can't just have one goalkeeper Aberdeen finished the season I think the last could be six or seven games with only with only AJ they had no they had um no goalkeeper on the bench which is just a recipe for disaster I I feel but I think AJ came in in November and she's done well. Um, she's been quite solid. I think we've spoke about it before. She has a, a kind of a really good shot stopper. I think there is elements of her game. Maybe her distribution can be sometimes a wee bit nervy on the ball. That needs to improve. But in the top flight, if anything, it's for competition. They need to bring somebody in to boost her. So, so she is kind of developing even more. But um, yeah, those are definitely two areas that, that they need to look at because like we said earlier they've they've been successful last season they need to build on it and the best way to do that is to strengthen the squad as well what kind of impact do you feel it will have on on a, maybe Aberdeen or the kind of game as a whole moving under the the SPFL uh, remit I think it's going to be massive I think I mean it's it's all very up in the air I think we don't know how it's going to t- turn out um it does maybe feel like a bit of a a leap to the unknown what the clubs have decided to do but I can 100% understand why they wanted to do it I think SWF's made you know to get the women's game the domestic game to where it's at just now to have teams in the league that are professional teams that are semi-professional they've done an amazing job but there's only so far I think that they can take them and but in this period of time now especially in the domestic game 
And even, I think, considering what the national team has done, we've been to two major, major tournaments. You know, the, the progress that the game's made this season, having, you know, 4,000 fans at Ibrox, near 2,000 at Pataudry, at Easter Road, Celtic Park, Tynecastle, all those kind of places as well. Something needs to be done so we don't just kind of stagnate the success. We need to keep going in the right direction. And if that is moving to the SPFL, I think it's a good idea because, you know, they have the experience of running the leagues. There's much more incentive to be under that umbrella, whether it's kind of getting more eyes cast upon the game. I think that's a really plays a really big part on people just being able to see it mainstream, not um you know, that it's still the big issue in women's football, the perceptions that people have of it. So hopefully moving under the same banner of the men's game can improve those kind of negative attitudes that people have. Um, the commercial opportunities, the media opportunities, hopefully there'll be more games broadcast. So what SPFL offer, it all looks promising, but we just don't know how it's going to turn out. So I think I can see why clubs have done it. And I think it is a good idea. But the proof will be in the pudding next season. Yeah, certainly be a, be a busy few months ahead, I would uh, I would imagine. Um, and that's it for part two of this week's episode of Northern Goal. In part three, we'll round up all the news coming out from our SPFL and Highland League clubs. Welcome to part three of Northern Goal. And we'll now move on to any other business. Um, and we'll take a look at the rest of the news from... From our clubs across the north, um, Aberdeen, uh, I believe to be closing in on a move for Albanian midfield midfielder Ilba Ramadani. He's a holding player and he's been on the books of Hungarian side MTK Budapest, as well as playing in Denmark. Uh, he's also got 17 caps for the Albanian national team. Uh, in the championship, Cali Thistle followed up their playoff final defeat to St. Johnston by announcing their kind of player departures and retainees for next season. Um, Rhys McAleer, Joe Hardy and Logan Chalmers We've all gone back to their parent clubs with uh, McAleer already aware that he was being let go by Norwich City. And Danny Devine, Wallace Duffy, Cami Mackay, Lewis Hyde and uh, most recently Sean Welsh have all agreed new deals while Aaron Doran and Shane Sutherland have been offered extensions. Uh, Peter Head in League One have confirmed the departure of long-serving captain Scott Brown who is headed to Wraith Rovers in the Championship on a two-year deal. Uh, he can long been seeking a return to full-time football. Um, guys, what kind of stands out from those bits or is there something else that's kind of caught your eye across the across the last few days? Well, in, in terms of the Dons, I mean, the word from the Albanian national team is that Ramadani's passed his medical and agreed this two-year deal to come to Pataudry and be Jim Goodwin's first signing. It's just a case of when it's going to be announced and the formalities of his visa being processed. Um as you've said, there's what what we know is very little defensive midfielder who chips in with the, the odd goal here and there. Um, it's interesting that Jim Goodwin did his interview with the, the club website this week, talking about his preference for being a going with a, a flat back four. Um, if that's the case, then clearly Ramadani is going to be that anchor protector in front of his central defenders. Um, there was reference to a mystery left-sided central defender as well also being imminent. Um, here's hoping because there's no better way to boost season ticket sales than seeing new faces arriving. Um, given the season the Dons had last year, or should it be this year, I'm not sure where we technically cut it off. Um, I, I maybe shouldn't say this, but there were four new faces on board by this time last season in Scott Brown, Jet, Declan Gallagher and, and, and Gary Woods. It does feel as if it's been awfully quiet so far 
at Petaudry and at the risk of stating the obvious, that first game at Peterhead in the Premier Sports Cups on July 10 and it's looming large now. Uh, with such a big turnover, you would think the manager would be keen to have his squad together as quickly as possible. Yeah, I mean, that's certainly uh, a consideration I, I echo with regards to Ross County as well. They're uh, they're looking at another big uh, summer of transition and there's not been much activity there either. So, um, yeah, no, I would hope that there would be, you know, something to come in the in the next couple of weeks. Um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they try and get a couple of the, you know, the lone players back uh, that were with them last season, part of the part of the, the you know really successful campaign that they had. Um, whether they can get Joseph Hungbo back, I'm I'm not too sure, but there's a couple of others that certainly showed themselves up well and. Certainly Jake Wilkins, I remember, indicated that he was, you know, not ruling out the possibility of, of maybe coming back. Um, they, they certainly need a, a left back. So, no, there's there's not been not been too much from a county point of view. You, you referenced Inverness that, um, you know, they've been quite busy and proactive and and just keeping a, a level of continuity going from, from the, the team that finished the, the season. Obviously losing the, um, you know, the, some of the lone players that were with them. Again, it wouldn't surprise me if they were, you know, going to make moves to, you know, maybe bring Logan Chammers back if the opportunity arose. Um, Reese McAleer is out of contract now, but, you know, I would imagine he will probably have attracted some some premiership interest given his performances towards the end of the season. But um, certainly with with the, the likes of Sean Welsh, Sharon Doran, Wallace Duffy kind of signing on new deals, um, it, it shows that Billy Dodds is quite keen to, to keep that nucleus intact and you know if you look at the team that finished uh you know against St Johnson in the playoffs then you know it's it's really only Kirk Broadfoot that they're looking at losing from the the players that they they had permanently signed so um it, it'll be more a case of fine tuning and, and tweaking I suppose as uh, the summer goes on for for Billy Dodds as he, he tries to look at and, and build upon the you know the the good end to the season that they had with Scott Brown and joining Simon Ferry and, and leaving Peterhead. It does feel like a real changing of the guard in the middle of the park now for the Blue Toon. I mean, what's your thoughts, Jamie? That's a, one of the teams that's on your patch, obviously. Um, well, I think the Scott Brown thing, we kind of have, we kind of do this tango every year. There's always the opportunity for him to, to go full time. And for one reason or another, it's not materialised in the past. Um, he's, I think this year, it, it became more apparent that it would it would happen. He turned down the chance to join Air United in January, um, and I think there was there was some kind of uh, talk that Ian Murray was looking at bringing him to to Airdrie when he was there, and obviously him getting the Wraith Rovers job as well, and him bringing Dylan Easton with him, who'd been kind of the League One Player of the Year under him at Airdrie, and now kind of pairing him with Scott Brown in midfield. It's a pretty formidable um, it's a pretty formidable kind of pairing they've got there, and it w- kind of works out for Scott. I spoke to him. Uh, early in the week and he was indicating that at, at 27 there wasn't going to be much time left for him to try and go full-time again um, he'd had six years out of full-time football so this was the time to do it for him it'll be a big miss for Peter Head he's been a kind of a quiet leader for them Jim McAnally had said that some people had maybe questioned why he was he was club captain but he liked the way he led by example on the pitch he maybe wasn't like a shouter and a baller but you knew from the performances you were going to get from Scott that team teammates would hopefully kind of follow follow his example, and he would be a big miss. Um, the, 
probably will need to try and bring in another midfielder to cover cover for him, given there's some kind of um, speculation about Grant Savory's future as well. So I would think uh, I would think that would be an area for Jim McAnally to address. We should mention as well that the Elgin City have signed defender Jevon Anderson on a two-year deal after he left Cove Rangers. Uh, he'd finished the season on loan at Borough Briggs, and it was although it was kind of an injury hit campaign that saw him released by Cove. Uh, Elgin have brought him back on a two-year deal, um, so hopefully it's uh, he gets a clear run of things as well. Um, Callum Laws supplied us with some Highland League news with the uh, the off-season in full swing over there. Um, newcomers Bank City have signed defender Kyle Willocks from Devon Vale. Strasbourg have added James Fraser from Burghead Thistle. Um, Miller Gamble, the young defender who joined Brora last year from Cali Thistle, has signed a two-year contract extension, while Gordy McNabb has returned to Nairn County from Forest Mechanics. Um, and I know Callum has been hard at work with some new features for next season's Highland League Weekly, so keep your eyes peeled for the PJ website for that one. Um, that's all for today's uh, connection-interrupted episode of Northern Call. Um, thanks again to Sophie, Paul and Andy for their help today. Thank Cheers, you. Jimmy. Cheers, Jimmy. If you've enjoyed today's episode, leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from. And if you want to get in touch, email northerngoal at dctmedia.co.uk. Take care and we'll catch up with you again soon. Hope you loved the episode, and if you did, we'd be grateful if you could leave us a review or rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to pick up your copies of the Press and Journal and Evening Express every day for the best football writing and analysis in the North.